Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. All right, we'll dive into dive into our stuff this morning. Okay, so where we've left off is uh, Israel had had uh, gone in, conquered Jericho, stolen some stuff. They were devoted for destruction. They resolved that after they found out the hard way by trying to attack the next city. Resolved that, and uh, and then uh, things are. are are where they're at. So they've resolved that, and now they're they're on to trying to go after AI and um, capture AI uh, the proper way with God's instruction. And Joshua, you see right off in the very start of this chapter, Joshua, who had been you know supposed to be strong and courageous, and then who had fallen on his face and thrown dirt on his head and was woe is me, what's wrong with us? Why can't we win? God, what have you done to us? Should have left us on the other side of the of the of the Jordan River, you know, this same one, God again is encouraging to 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 not be afraid and not be dismayed because God would grant victory over AI now that his wrath had been justified. Um and it just made me think of the this is isn't it isn't that the way it is sometimes that um we're so blessed that God builds us up after we are flailing around like the sky is falling. We're we're all up in arms because we think, you know, that we there's no way for us to move forward. There's no way that's gonna that it's gonna work out. And then again, we calm down. We look to God. He helps us out, and He pushes us forward again and saying, "You can do this. Go do this." It made me think of like uh, a parent and their child, and their child's falling all over the ground. They can't do this. They can't tie their shoes. They can't put on their socks or something like that. And having you have to be so patient with them, they can finally do it. And then they get up and you're like, okay, now go on and do this. You can take on your day. And that's we can be like that spiritually with God, even now. We can we can still do that. And we're so blessed that God has patience with us and that uh he forgets that uh when his wrath is justified, when he, when uh his offense from us is is justified or forgiven. He forgets it and says, okay, now let's move forward. He doesn't look there at us begrudgingly going like, man, you're just going to do this again. I know you're going to do this again. And he doesn't like, like sigh and shake his head and said, fine, let's keep moving. He says, be of good courage, be strong, go for it. It's going to be fine. Let's do this. Um, And it's just something that struck me that we're so, we're so blessed to have a God who doesn't hold our past against us like that. Um, so in an ironic twist of faith for them, uh, well, not really faith, but in an ironic twist of reality, God grants Israel the freedom to have the spoils in this battle. If Achan had only waited 
All he had to do is wait to the second battle, and then the spoils of of the of the city they were conquering would have been able to be divvied up amongst the people. God was God was going to be generous. Just the first fruits of entering the land, the first fruits of their battles were going to go to him and his treasury, and then the, the Israelites were going to get their shares. And we always do that, don't we? Have you ever had a moment where you lacked patience and trust in God and that disqualified you from what God had for you? That's a great question for us. If you had a moment where you lacked the patience and trust in God and that disqualified you uh, from what God wanted to give you. And then a follow-up question for us would be, have we actually learned from that? Did we learn from that? Or are we repeating those mistakes? All right. Um, maybe you seized an opportunity to benefit yourself that you weren't supposed to, and you missed out on what God really intended. It's in our desire for those quick assurances, our lack of patience and trusting God uh, that he can disqualify us from what he wanted for us. It could be promotions. It could be opportunities. It could be blessings. It could be a number of things that God says, and you jumped ahead of me, and now I can't give you this. It'd be great for us to pause and think of those things and uh, remember that. So the next time that comes along, we pause and allow God to lead us and guide us. We're not so quick to rush ahead. And so now for Israel, God again gives them the plan for success. There's an ambush. This is their second city. And now there's the second plan uh, from God for victory. Imagine if they had, if they had just inquired of God how to conquer AI the first time, they would have been informed potentially that there was sin in the camp. God would have said, I can't go forward with you. There's sin in the camp. This would have been, this would be a consistent theme for Israel. So Joshua, though, to attack AI, collects uh, his soldiers. He takes 5,000 with him, and 3,000 would lie in wait for an ambush. Israel would go before AI, and when the king and the army of the city would come out to fight them, they would flee just like they had the first time when AI defeated them. And uh, the king would be assured of victory again, chasing them out of the city, leaving the city vulnerable. And that is when uh, the 30,000 would attack and plunder and destroy the city. Uh, then they would hedge in the king and his army and seal their fate. And so that's exactly what happens. Joshua leads 5,000 out to battle. They, they turn and run just as planned. And when the moment is right, he says, this, this is what happens. And this is from uh, um, verses 18 to... Uh, 29. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set it on fire. So when the men of Ai AI looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that, for the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against their pursuers. 
And when Joshua and all of Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them so that they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was none left that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai, they took and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they had pursued him, and all of them to the very last fallen by uh, the edge of the sword, and Israel returned to Ai and struck down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, and all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants and inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he had commanded Joshua. And so Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he uh, hanged the, the king of Ai on a tree until evening and at sunset Joshua commanded as they took down his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. And there's a few things for us to notice in this. The first that, that came out to me and others may come out to you, but the first thing that I noticed was this, that while Moses held out a staff while leading Israel, Joshua holds out a javelin. He wasn't the shepherd wilderness leader that Moses was. He was their military commander engaged in battle with them. It's not a she that shepherding staff that he held out. Um, it's a javelin, a weapon of war. And even though victory looked secure, Joshua held out the javelin until it was completely finished, until there was nothing left to do. He left no room for error on this one. It made me think, are we sometimes guilty of lowering our quote-unquote javelin when it looks like things are pretty much wrapped up versus actually completed? Assuming that since we're so close, we think we're for sure going to cross the finish line. When we're called to focus and to hold that out there until it is finally over. And then we see another heap of stones. This one would mark Israel's second chance and their restoration, that they were not devoted to destruction. And from there, verses 30 to 35, Joshua then takes Israel to Mount Ebal in Mount Gerizim and fulfills what Moses had decreed in Deuteronomy 27. And if you remember Deuteronomy 27, that's, that's a chapter that has a lot of curses in it, right? And uh, they're cursing from, it talks about all the curses. Joshua would do all that was in Deuteronomy 27 and repeat all the law that Moses had given them. He would do that here, just as Moses had commanded. Because Moses in Deuteronomy 27, everything I'm saying here, I need you and want you to do at Mount Ebal uh, with all the people and renew the covenant there in the land. Now uh, you may wonder, What's what's so special about Mount Ebal? Well, this wasn't a new place, a new place for the uh, nation of Israel. This is where God covenanted with Abraham, 
It's where a, uh, Jacob had built an altar, but also where his sons uh, killed all the men of Shechem, which would be a city right at the base of, the, of these mountains, uh, for defiling his, their sister. And uh, most likely the first rather than the latter allowed them to build an altar and covenant with God without conquering anyone around them. They didn't have to go necessarily to those cities and, and do that. The Bible doesn't record uh, any of that. But what it does say is that they were able to go there and do that. So here again, Israel reads the law of Moses, repeating their call to be set apart as God's possession and live lives distinct for that reason. This would impress upon the people their need to obey. And then here, Joshua copies the law to stone for people to be able to see it and remember that place. Now, twice mentioned in this section are sojourners amongst them, people who had joined Israel and worshipped her God with her, whether they came from Egypt, whether they joined Israel along in its wilderness marching and wilderness living. They, too, were included in this moment, and it's important to see that Joshua includes them here in this covenant. They were grafted in, even as sojourners, into what Israel was doing and Israel's covenant with God. They weren't just a ragtag bunch of followers following behind. They were a part of this moment, cementing that Israel was to be a missionary country a place where foreigners could come and be grafted into the community as worshipers of God. And that, to me, is a great foreshadowing of what the church, the body of Christ, is. How our community should be a community that embraces the sojourner as they look to follow God. And the question for us would be potentially this. Would the seeker find welcome and rest in your home? And would you make room for someone quite different than you seeking God? Sometimes we think we can be all that welcoming, but when somebody very different from us comes along and says, there's something about you and your God that I, I need and I want to, and I want to learn from and I want to kind of camp out with you and figure this out, it pushes in on our, our regular patterns and our regular um, things in life. And yet we're supposed to, we're called to be that type of missionary community that embraces people that look different than us, that come from different backgrounds uh, as they choose to follow God uh, and worship him with us. And that is how uh, chapter nine or eight ends. And so chapter nine uh, starts in verse one and two with a band of kings coming together to fight Israel. And uh, maybe they've seen how Israel uh, is uh, defeating individual cities, and they they think of this as a, a new tactic to try and withstand Israel's advance, going, we're too, too weak to stand on our own against Israel. Maybe we need to band together and become a force against Israel to stop Israel from uh, their, their, uh, their march through the promised land. Uh, maybe they saw weakness in the first loss to AI uh, and thought there was uh, there was an opening there to to be able to go in and do some do some damage to Israel. They are though intent to stop Israel increasing possession of the promised land. 
Now, the list of people that's listed there, the list of uh, people groups, should sound familiar to us because it is an exact copy of the list that God told them through Moses to devote to destruction in Deuteronomy 20, verses 17 to 18. He lists the same tribes that should be devoted to destruction that are now gathering against Israel uh, to fight. He said in, in that, those verses, but you shall devote to them complete destruction, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable ways um, that they have done for their gods. And so you sin against the Lord your God. So here we have all these nations, these people groups coming together to fight them. And while we may be in anticipating a battle here against all these forces come together against Israel, um, and however we, however we see that these forces come together, whether that was done in uh, uh, almost a, an unholy supernatural way where uh, the enemy, Satan, has gathered forces to say, I will try and use a larger force like this to to come against Israel, possessing the land that God has for it, disrupting the plans God has for salvation for Israel, for salvation for humanity. Whether it was that trying to happen there or or um, whatever, instead of seeing some cosmic battle between these nations and the nation of Israel, uh, there's a, we, we have a pause in the scripture here because all of a sudden, we have a big theatrical production taking place. Um, this would make for the strangest of, of scenes if you're trying to recreate this, because all of a sudden you have the city, the Gibeonites, who were, um, for geographical reference, about eight kilometers outside of Jerusalem. Um, this is way back, um, obviously, before um, the, the, the kingdom's that Israel would establish in, in uh, where Jesus would walk. But it was eight kilometers outside of Jerusalem. There was um, this, the, the city um, of Gibeon. And um, the people there, they put on old, dirty, ratty clothes, worn out sandals. Um, they carried dirty old luggage with them. They, put, uh, they took old bread, crusty bread that they had laying around. And old wineskins that would be cracked from use and need to be done away with. And they, quote unquote, wander towards um, Israel. They wander towards where the people of Israel are. And despite their normal senses telling them that something seemed off when they see this group of people wandering towards them, Israel, uh, they ask them questions. Are you sure you don't live in the land? Are you sure that like you need to make a, a covenant with us? Are you sure that this is what needs to happen? Even though they they have whatever, you know, a spidey sense that tells them that something's not right here. They they go all in and they believe the lie that they are they were far, far off from country seeking refuge because they've heard of the name of, of Israel's God. And it says they heard of the name of the Lord. And it doesn't mean, it just mean they, they've heard Yahweh. And it would be, uh, in some translations would say, they heard of the fame of Israel's God. And it's a combination of, of, of kind of both, the name 
they heard of God's name, but they heard of God's fame. And the word they use there to, to say the name of the Lord is to give reference to that. It's it's almost like it's it's the God we don't want to speak of because he's so powerful. When we call on his name, we know that since we're not followers of him, it may cause damage to us because he's that powerful. There was an awe to what they were saying about the name of the Lord there. And so there's some truth to that. They they did hear they have that. They know of that because uh, it's just down the road that they've now seen Jericho and AI fall. And they know they're probably next. And so they want to make sure that they don't die. And so, again, like despite the story sounding a little off, uh, why does a far away nation need a treaty? If you're so far away, why do you need a peace treaty with the nation of Israel? And we don't need to make a, a peace treaty with South Africa. There's zero chance that we're actually going to come into any conflict with South Africa, you know, as a they don't share a border with us. There's there's oceans in between. Why would we need to make certain types of agreement, peace agreements with them? You know, it's kind of kind of has that feel to it. So despite that, you know, they move ahead. Despite the fact that Joshua has matured as a leader, entering the tent of meeting to hear from God. Despite the fact that he's done that uh, over the years with Moses. Despite the fact that Joshua has been trained to use the Umin and the Thurim to know God's will. Despite the fact that they attacked AI without consultation and lost. And despite the fact they just came away from renewing their covenant, reading the law with Moses, vowing to obey it, vowing not to be together with any other nations. They agree to make a treaty with the Gibeonites without consulting God. Now, before you sit in judgment and going, I cannot believe Israel has done this. Have you ever agreed to something that was a little off? Have you a history of hearing from God? Have you not the Holy Spirit to consult uh, with for direction? Do you not have God's word to help keep you on the quote-unquote straight and narrow? And have you experienced getting burnt and saying, I'm never going to do that again? And yet we find ourselves doing this over and over again, don't we? We find ourselves making commitments that are not what God intended without consulting God. We see a purchase that, the price just looks too good to turn up, but yet God didn't approve that purchase. We see an opportunity that looks like uh, it, it could be right, and yet we're not quite sure. And instead of consulting God, we almost like roll dice and take a chance on it without consulting God. Now, this isn't to make, you know, your wardrobe choices every day and your breakfast choices every day, things that you need to consult God on. But we're talking about making a treaty with another nation. We're talking about decisions that make an impact on their lives. Sometimes we go through life and we fail to consult God properly on those things. In our own strength, we're prone to repeat the same thing. That is, we do within our, we do nothing. This is what we should do. We should do nothing in our own strength and rely on grace, God's grace when we fail to do so. So a question may be, is there a decision you are making that needs you to pause and consult God about it before acting? Is there a decision that you are making that needs you to pause and consult God 
before acting. All right, so then in verse 15, uh, we see that Joshua does multiple things with them when they find out. Uh, or he not when they find out in that peace agreement, he makes peace with them, meaning Israel won't attack them. And then he also makes a covenant with them, meaning Israel will come to their aid uh, if any problems come their way. Since they had basically surrendered to Israel, it incurred Israel's protection. They wandered there and said, we need to make a treaty with you. We know you're more powerful than we are. So we want to say, we, we won't fight you. We'll, we'll be subject to you. Just don't kill us. Make a treaty with us. And so in doing so, they incurred Israel's protection because they had surrendered to them. And Joshua's agreement was then ratified by the elders of the nation. Everybody agreed with this. They were, to, they were going to be at peace and they would protect the Gibeonites. Verse 16 to 18, we see the Gibeonites return to their quote-unquote far away land, just a short hike down the road. So short that Joshua and his armies, when continuing to advance through the land, it would say that they reached, they, they reached the, the uh, city in three days. And realistically, um, according to probably how we read scripture, it's probably not three days as in like, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's probably three days similar to how we look at um, Christ's death and resurrection, where he was crucified on a Friday, but rose on a Sunday morning, where it'd be an overnight march or a 24-hour march, and they were basically there, not 72 hours away. That's how close they were, just that close. One nice march, and they would have discovered all these quote-unquote wanderers. Now, upset by this deception, Joshua seeks an explanation. They're, they're, they're pretty upset about it. And we may think that a contract that was made under deception would be voided. And we may have legal pretense to do that now, where somebody deceives you in how they make a contract, that you have some legal means to, to break that binding contract. But in Israel's case, they made this treaty and called on God as their witness for this binding contract between them and the Gibeonites. There was no getting out of this. They swore before God that they would have peace and they would protect. And so there's nothing they can do about that. And so what do they do uh, to do this? How do they work their way through it? Because uh, that's some tough fine print in the contract to work through. Uh, verse 24 tells us that they had an awareness that Israel uh, was lacking. These people, the Gibeonites, they understood something and they were paying attention to things more than Israel was at this time because they answered Joshua when he said, why did you do this? What was going on? They said, because it was told to, to your servants for a certainty that the Lord our God, uh, the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. Hear that. They were aware of Moses. They were aware of what the Lord had told Moses regarding the land and the destruction of the people. And they came to this moment in fear of God and his people, but with cunning to save themselves. They knew more about what was going on and, and, were, and were 
figuring a plan out more than Israel was. Israel seems to be just blindly going along, trying to do stuff as they go. But here's the, there's a nation that had heard from afar what Moses had promised, what Moses was going to do, what, the, what God was going to do for Israel, and was cunningly making plans for their own survival through that. And while they may have thought they cheated the system, cheated death, Joshua curses them that they are to be woodcutters and water drawers for the altar of the Lord, wherever that was. And this would be um, both, uh, both a hard, demeaning, and laborious experience, but also one that placed them in constant proximity and connection with the ark and with the worship of God. Israel's sacrificial system would keep them very busy, but they had a connection now with the worship of Israel, which would be a significant place. And this would also be significant for the battles that were about to come that we'll read moving forward. But it's also interesting to note that similar to, to Rahab, and unlike the other nations that Israel would fail to remove or would have uh, issues with, the Gibeonites would not be a source of Israel's shortcomings. There would be no idol worship that the Gibeonites introduced or rebellion against God. There would be no cultural uh, swayings because of the Gibeonites. Nothing is recorded of them bringing Israel any harm or problems. The only trouble that the Gibeonites caused would be self-inflicted by Israel. Because in 2 Samuel, if we were to read ahead, we'll read that there is a famine in the land of Israel that David is experiencing. David is now king and there's famine for three years. And he consults God and he's like, this isn't normal. Why, why is it this famine here? This isn't just a normal pattern of, of you know, of weather and, and, uh, and nature and things like that. What is going on? And he consults. And God tells him that Saul, when he was king, had tried to kill or get rid of the Gibeonites in an overzealous desire for Israel and God. He was doing, trying to do almost like an ethnic cleansing for God, saying, let's just have pure Israel. And uh, it was not right. And it was not good. And so there was problems in the land because of that. And uh, as a result, some of Saul's children, his sons uh, and grandsons, would die as a penalty to appease God's wrath and reconcile the Gibeonites and uh, return honor to the Gibeonites for their commitment and their relationship with Israel. So maybe more true today than in their age, do we see that our failure in living up to what God asks of us has repercussions down the road? Not immediately. Usually it's not like, the sin of Jericho affecting AI, where it happens immediately, where our sin gets us. Sometimes it's way down the road where we think we can keep moving forward and we can't see the direct connection outside of the grace of God for our correction. We're wondering why we've been stopped, why we've been limited. And yet there's sin, there's brokenness that God needs us to address in order to return favor to us. It's interesting how that can happen. All right. That is our, 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 our look at uh, today's two chapters. Um, and so here's where we'll make our, our break for um, 
the people that need to leave will bless you and will send you off in God's grace. May you go through your day hearing his voice lead you and guide you in all truth and in all righteousness. And may you be a light to the world around you. Thank you for joining us today. Have you become an official member of our HeartStrong community? Visit heartstrong.life and click membership to sign up. Once you've registered, you will receive an email with links and tips for how to engage everything that HeartStrong has to offer. As a member, you will have access to so much incredible discipleship content found on the members page, such as all of our weekly Bible study events, a monthly training plan with disciplines and practices and discipleship questions to help guide you on your discipleship journey. We also have our most recent Bible study video, all of our teacher Bible study notes, and an on-demand video archive of all of our Bible studies that we have ever done. And lastly, every month we create and curate content to encourage you on your discipleship journey. So what are you waiting for? Visit heartstrong.life and join today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together.